One of the biggest challenges that's facing the church today is that people specifically my age and younger, so I'm called a millennial. I'm on like the bottom half of that. The millennials go from, it's always changing. We're always growing older. And on top of that, uh, everybody says different things. But basically people bef- born around or before 2000, so late 90s into the um, mid 80s are considered millennials. Now, people my age and younger than us are leaving the church. So much so that whenever they look at the stats, people my age, if you were raised in church, one third of the people my age are not staying in church as adults. And that, that number is only getting worse for the generation below mine, which is now becoming uh, in their early 20s. And because of this, there's been models that they've been looking at in recent years. And what they're starting to see is they think in the next 30 to 40 years, so around the middle of the century, uh, if the trajectory continues the way it is now, that um, Christianity in America, people who consider themselves Christian, will go below 50%. So right now it's 64%. And that number is way down from, you know, 30 to 40 years ago. And so when we look around, we see that there's a problem. Now, as a millennial, I'm not going to tell you that I speak for millennials, but I can give you an idea of what some of the things I saw growing up and why I've heard from other people my age. The biggest thing for us is that we were raised to think about faith a certain way. We were told to do certain things, to, to live a certain kind of life, to have certain values. And then we get to be an adult or we get to do that transition where you're going from childhood to adulthood. And you're starting to look at what you've been given as a child and you're supposed to take it and then make it your own. And what we realized was, holy cow, some of the things that people are doing in churches is not what Jesus teaches. Uh, Some of the things that people who say they're Christian value is not what we see valuable in the Gospels. And holy cow, we see that there are Christian leaders and denominations who are taking things that have happened to people. And instead of advocating for maybe a victim of some sort of abuse, whether it's leadership, bad leadership, or some other sort of abuse, and we all can think of what we've heard in the news over the last 15, 20 years. And instead of the church being for the victims, they protected the people who have caused the problems. So people my age look around and they're like, well, wait a minute. You tell me to be this person. I'm supposed to be this kind of religious person over here. But over here, you don't even seem to think it should matter in the end how we treat people and how we live. And so people my age are done with organized religion. And it's only getting worse for the generation below us. And what this has caused is people my age who are still a part of it is we advocate this question, is it religious in religion or is it relationship? And so some people say it's about what you do, what you believe, where you go, how often you do it. And some people say, no, it's about relationships. It's about who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to treat other people. And so you have these two dichotomies. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, well, are we supposed to bring those together? How did they come together? And how do we look at what's going on in our churches around the country? And how do we fill in some of these gaps? And this is what Jesus talks about today. Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 20. So if you want to turn there today in the Pew Bible, it will be in here. It also will be on the screen, so don't feel like you need to turn there. But in the Pew Bible, if you want to, it's 1378. We're going to be taking a look at how Jesus brings this idea of religion and relationship together. But before that, we get to Matthew, we have to lay the foundation. 
Because Matthew and Jesus is building on these ideas that we read about in Isaiah today. Now, Isaiah is just one of a number of examples in the prophets of when God is being critical of his people because of what they do in worship versus who they are. And this is central and foundational to the problem of Israel and the problem of the church today. So let's take a look at what it says here in Isaiah. Shout it out loud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they, are, they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commandments of its God. So let's stop here. Let's specifically look at verse one again. So what's going on is... Um, God is saying to Isaiah, okay, you are going to be my voice to my people. So if you've ever been uh, a shift leader, if you've ever been in some sort of middle management, if you've ever been an assistant manager, or if you've been a teacher asked to relay a message from administration, you understand what's going on here. God is saying, okay, I have a problem with my people, but I'm going to ask you, Isaiah, to speak for me. Now, that's how it always works with the prophets. But we think about if you've been in middle management, who gets the, the job of telling people things they don't want to hear from the upper leadership? It's not those people, right? But that's what, that's what Isaiah is going to do here. He's going to go to Israel and he's going to say, there is some problems with you and I'm going to tell you about it. So this is what he says there. Look at verse 2 again, just because we need to see what exactly he's talking about. So for day after day, they seek, this is Israel, seek me out. This is what God's saying to them. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the payments of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. So that sounds right. That sounds good, right? It sounds like Israel is doing what they are supposed to do. They're coming to God and they're wanting him to respond. So what's the problem? Well, this is what he says now. Continue to verse 3. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? So Israel is, is saying, wait a minute, God. We've done these things and you don't seem to be hearing us. And basically what's going on is that um, Israel is offering worship, but something isn't right. So if you've ever sent a text message and you get that little red dot or little red exclamation with a circle around it, you know, which means that it didn't send. Or if you send an email and it bounces back and then you realize that an email address was wrong or there's something wrong with the internet. Or old school, we send a letter and it comes back with that little sticker from the post office that says, you know, address not found or whatever. There's a number of different messages that'll be, that can come back. But in all these cases, it's the same idea. Israel is offering worship, and for whatever reason, God is not receiving it. Just like those messages that don't get through. Why isn't God receiving their worship? So this gives us a clue. Worship is about more than just what we do. So we can think about worship as coming on Sunday and singing, or coming on Sunday and being here. We call this a worship service. I'm intentional about saying all that we do here is worship. Some churches talk about the worship being the singing. And it's the singing plus everything else. It's the scripture reading. It's what I'm doing now. It's our response when we take communion here in a little while. All of that's worship. Now, worship isn't something we just do. It's this relationship we have with God. 
we send it out, he receives it. But what that means is that there can be worship that doesn't get to God. So what is the heir? And this is what Isaiah says. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and accept your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head, bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you are, is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? So this is again God speaking to Israel and he's saying, look, you think that fasting is about doing these things. But the problem was what they were doing wasn't translating to their life. So it's almost like Israel's worship was like one of these machines. Does anybody recognize this? Yeah, I mean, if you're my age, I only know about these because my grandma had one in her basement. (laughs) It's not there anymore. Well, maybe it is. I don't know if they've gotten rid of anything. But these machines are supposed to be exercise machines. So here's a guy using it. For those of us who are too, (laughs) too old or too young to know what's going on. So this machine, it's supposed to be a belt that like vibrates or like oscillates, like shakes, and it's supposed to like shake your fat off. So this guy seems like he's enjoying it. I don't know. Maybe he's hoping I get to lose weight and I don't have to do anything, which is what we're always after, right? But this is what worship is like if it's not pointed the right direction. Now we know now that this is not a good way to lose weight. I'm not going to say it's completely ineffective. I don't know. But I do know is you're not going to get the results from these things that you want. Your exercise is misguided. And this is what's going on with Israel's worship. It was misguided. They thought that fasting was what they were supposed to do. They thought that offering sacrifices and going for the holy days and going to the temple was what they were supposed to do. Translate that today. We thought that going to church on Sundays, we thought giving offering, we thought serving on the board, serving on a committee was what we're supposed to do. Now those aren't bad things, but that's not the end of the story because how we worship and what worship leads us to matters. So it's this religious idea, but it's not just the religious. Look what then God says to Israel. He says, isn't not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? So he said, isn't this the kind of fasting I actually wanted? To loose the chains of injustice and to unite the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wander with shelter? And we could go on. There's one more line. And when we see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. This is what we need to understand. Worship is supposed to lead to caring for other people, seeking justice for the oppressed, lifting up those who are less off than us. Just like last week we talked about how serving others is what the gospel is about. Serving others flows from a certain kind of worship. So if you think about the exercise belt again, 
If you want worship that's going to actually make it to its target, thinking about exercise, it's the same thing. If you want to lose weight or you want to have a healthier heart or you want to lower your cholesterol, that's the result. That's not what you're aiming to do. That's not what you do when you exercise. When you exercise, you say, okay, I'm going to, and for, I'll just use my, for example, I am trying to continue to have maintain a healthy weight so that I do not have to take blood pressure and cholesterol medicine as I get into my mid to late 30s. I don't know if it'll happen. My genes are against me. But the way that I'm trying to do that is I'm just going to, as much as possible, every night use a stationary bike for 20 minutes. Now, when you do that, you're not lowering your cholesterol. You're actually getting your heart rate up to a certain rate, which makes your heart stronger and healthier. It does help you lose weight, and then it affects all those other things. It's the same thing with worship. Worship is not aimed at just the stuff. It's aimed at God. He's our focus. And proper worship goes to God, and it comes back to us, and then it flows to those around us. God is the aim and the result is that we care for people. But Israel wasn't looking to connect with God. They were looking with fulfilling the requirements or checking the boxes. And that's what the American church has done for so long. Let's check the boxes. And today what we're trying to figure out is, well, how do we solve these problems? Well, let's see if we can have some program that checks the boxes. Now there's some merit in having systems. We're trying to use some systems here, but those systems alone do not solve the problem because the problem is we need relationships because that's what it's about. And so this is where Jesus comes in. Look what he says here in Matthew chapter 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Is it no longer good or for any, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world in a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and give it light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So this right here is Jesus talking about relationships. He says to his followers, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Those are both positive things. Salt had lots of purposes in the ancient world. Think about, you know, preserving things without refrigeration, a number of other things that they would have done with it. Light is always good, especially in a world where there's no electricity. We take for granted that we have lights all over out here. You know, a couple weeks ago, or I guess a couple months ago when they were working on the outside, this big light over here, they disconnected it because they uh, needed to work and so they had to unhook it. It was so dark out here that night you kind of forget how dark it is when there's no lights outside. Now the people in the ancient world, they understood this so much more than us. A light on a hill guides you. God's people are supposed to have these roles. It's about the relationship they have with the world. You know, we take gasoline and we buy it for fuel, right? I mean, gasoline has hardly any other purpose. You can't wash your hands with it. I know you can wash off oil-based paint, but then you have to wash your hands, right? You can't drink it. You can't use it to water plants. It has one purpose, fuel. 
And if it's not using that purpose, we have no purpose for it. We have no reason to keep it. God's people have a purpose. Light on the hill, salt on the earth. We are to impact the world, to develop these relationships. Now that's the one side of the coin, but then Jesus says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will be by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of a Pharisee and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now what Jesus is saying is, I have not come to do away with all of these things that we hear about in the law or the law of Moses. The requirements Israelite people had. That in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were taken to an extreme in telling people, live these things and you will keep Torah. And Jesus says, yes, that is not necessarily a bad thing. He said, I actually came to fulfill those things. And that's because this is what we need to understand. How we worship impacts how we live. Our worship informs our living. If we want to live a certain way, we first have to worship a certain way. The reason that God told Israel to live the way he did was because he said to them, this is going to transform you into the type of people I made you to be. You're going to care about others. You're going to put others first. You're not going to be greedy. You're going to have compassion and love for the needy. And you're not going to keep more than you need. You're going to make sure that everyone has what they need, what we call justice. That's what Israel is supposed to be. And now Jesus says, that's what I am making, this kingdom that is salt on the earth and light on a hill that will take the brokenness of the world and begin to make it whole again. But it starts with our worship and it leads to relationship. Our worship informs our living. We can't have one without the other. So as we think about this religion versus relationship guide or divide or whatever you want to call it, we need both. Religion without relationship is just empty actions. And there's a lot of Christians in a lot of churches today that that's going on. And we need relationship with religion because religion without, a relationship without religion is unguided action. There are churches today that are so focused on these things that they've completely missed that we need to be formed into certain type of people first. We need to be like Jesus and that comes through our worship and what we believe and what we're formed to be. And we can't have one without the other. Our worship informs our living. The way we live should be informed by our worship and our worship should inform the way that we live. Israel struggled with worship. And because of that, they struggled with living. Today we're called to not make that same mistake. We've got to look at our worship and realize that it's what we offer to God and what then we receive from him that transforms our lives. Our worship informs our living. There's another way about it. So my generation's biggest criticism is absolutely accurate. And what I chose to do was not to walk away, but to be part of the solution. 
Now, my generation will mess things up too. This isn't to hate on anybody before us. We all react to what we've been given, and in some sense, we might swing too far the other way. But we need to look around and we need to realize that it's not just what we do, it's who we are. And it's not just how, who we are, but what we devote our lives to that matters. Those two things go together. Because here's what church has been for so long. Church has been a place to come, to have a social system, to be a part of a social group. And there's tons of those all over the country, right? Social clubs. And you know what? They're all dying. It's just because people my age, we're not interested in that. And if we want those connections, there's other ways that people my age are doing that. And people see churches the same way. They see churches as a social club centered around certain beliefs and ideas. But this is what we need to understand. The one thing that we have that they don't have is the story of Jesus. And we come together not just to have fun, to talk, to do some service projects. We might do all of those things, but it's centered around who we worship. We worship the God who came to save, to set us free, to call us to partner with him in the world, to renew it. Our worship informs our living. So as we think about last week, I said it's about serving others, and I challenged everybody to serve others. Again, I'm not going to ask you to do that yet. I'm not going to ask you to tell me if you did that. But again, this week, I want you to think about how you have an opportunity to serve people. And if you struggle with it, which we all do from time to time, this is what I've learned. Whenever my kids are driving me crazy and I'm realizing, oh wow, I am really not being a very good Christian right now. Because if you're a parent or if you've been in a relationship with anybody, we understand that relationships with the people we care about most drive us there the quickest. The answer to when we struggle is that we're probably needing to push more into our relationship with God, our worship. The more that we're formed by Jesus, the more patient that we are, the more loving that we are, the more that we see things the way that he calls us to see them. And that's all about our worship because our worship informs our living.